there's like a fruit fly. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering what you were twitching about. Oh my god! I was wondering. <laughs> Are you recording? Yeah. Oh, uh, sorry. What's you, had, you did this weird twitch, and I'm like, are you having some kind of episode? There was like a little fruit fly. Uh, anyway, what's up, sweet summer strangers? Uh, we are back together in person. For the first reunited, time in a while. And it while. feels so good. First yeah. time in a while. I forgot that we didn't do the episode bef- before the Side session? Dice Man one. Yeah. Not together because your back was hurting mm-hmm. so bad. Yeah. So it's been a long time since I've been down here. So it is good to be with you. You too. I am Kurt. With me, hi Kurt. Nice to meet you. With me is my look. I can't think of a good word. You don't have to come up with a flattering adjective. Radiant co-host, my radiant co-host, Miss Krista, who is recovering from her surgery. And happy to be home because I just traveled for work and I'm just excited. Yeah, you were miserable when you were texting me. You were texting me about going back, going down to Illinois, Southern Illinois. Did you have to drive through Chicago? Yeah. How was that? It's not bad. I mean, traffic was insanely heavy and there's lots of construction, but yeah. it's not as bad as you think it is. Yeah. Good, good, good. Yeah. Want to give some shout outs to our newest <laughs> strangers since the last time we recorded. And there's only a couple of them. It is Killian. I don't know how to pronounce the last name. H-O-S-T-E-A-U-X. Hosto. Yeah, that, that sounds, sounds right. like a Canadian name. Mm-hmm. Killian Hosto. Elian. Hmm? Or French. Or French. Killian Hosto. Ellen Lavelle. Mark Lunger. Maddie Lee. And Mia Rose Van Zant. That's not bad. No. But I also want to give a, I don't want to call him a shout out, but it's just like a, a rest in peace. Oh, okay. I don't know if you remember, but back when we did our Lake Michigan Triangle episode. With Rhonda. With Rhonda. Shortly after that, I was contacted by a woman named Ellen Kaloran. Uh, that I was just the true crime journalist that's yeah. been on like TV shows. Yeah. And uh, wanted to know if she could use some of our research and stuff. And I got to know her really well. She passed away in March. Oh, no. Yeah, because I was actually, she was kind of starting to look at like some of these like weird missing persons things like from Michigan. Yeah. So I was, I went to send her an email and I just decided to do a Google search on her and see what what she, what was new with her. And then I found that out and I was like, ugh. Because I got, I we messaged a lot back and forth. Oh, that's sad. You know, so it sucks. I was really down yeah. that day when I read that. So Ellen, you were awesome. Rest in peace. I don't like, I like our shout outs. I don't like our rest in pieces. Yeah, no. But either. that's it for shout outs. Do we have um, any housekeeping? Well, just a quick note. If you're new to the podcast and you don't want to listen to this part, <laughs> <laughs> we always forget to say this. Check the show notes. There'll be a timestamp in there for when the topic starts. You can fast forward. We won't be offended. And I don't blame you because I... I've listened to so many podcasts. This is our first two-part topic. Yeah. We are doing stories this time and then theories next time because there are a whole slew of theories. Yeah. But I listened to so many podcasts in the last, what, month that that I've been like research studying this. Okay. And I just get so frustrated when I put in a new one and I'm listening to it and they're talking, talking. I'm like, get to the, the... smiley face killers you know yeah. don't talk about this crap and then realize that we do <laughs> that's that. what we that's do that's what we do so if you want to skip ahead go right ahead we totally totally understand yeah 100 hey, some of the ones i listened to i just couldn't even finish i'm like oh, no this is so bad yeah you know hopefully nobody says that about us I'm i know sure they, they do because i've sure. read the reviews and it's a soul-sucking process I, do it. I won't read the reviews because i'll just Ugh. cry 
Um, I'll, I'll cry and be all emo. Speaking of podcasts, thank you for recommending The Cabin. I'm loving that podcast. It's really good, isn't yes. it? They, uh, they just did one on waterfront um, restaurants. Yeah. There was a Door County episode yeah. that I listened yeah. to. Yeah, and I love the the hosts. Yes, uh, they're very Wisconsin. I listen to it. I, the only ones that I listen to are The Culvers, an episode about Culvers, yeah. and an episode about Quick Trip. Those are I the haven't only gotten ones. to those yet. The Sheboygan County one was really good. Mm-hmm. There's a Haunted Wisconsin one that I have downloaded, but I haven't yeah. listened to yet. But yeah, I'm enjoying it. It's just like you're it's local but they're they're still very professional yeah one guy you can tell he's i don't know if he's been on radio or he t- oh, he's i know which part one of t- discover oh, wisconsin Hang on. he's part of when they film it i don't know what his role is but discover wisconsin yep. is yeah. a Let, show on but i TV. think they all sound like really really good yeah. but there's something really casual about it and they're yeah. really you can tell they're friends and it's yeah. just fun to listen to and they're usually like 30 to 40 minutes long yeah. so not a long list the quick trip one was really good i'll have to check that one out next quick trip. I'm, I'm such a quick trip addict you know yeah. i am part of the cult and i am proud of being part of the quick trip cult well i will say on my trip down to illinois so it's like a three and a half hour drive it took me four hours to get down there just because of traffic but um i stopped at a couple of quick trips to Did go you? to the bathroom <laughs> Did you? and i am somebody who when i'm in the car and we're on a road trip i am not stopping for anything like no. i don't like long car rides yep. so i'm like we're getting there but i actually stopped to go to the bathroom twice and i will only stop at quick yeah, trip quick because are, they have nice bathrooms yes, quick trip bathrooms are awesome <laughs> and there's amazing food that you can grab on your way out yep. if you're hungry so yeah so i'm glad you like it yeah yeah thanks for the uh, recommendation okay a, now what are we doing housekeeping like i said this is our first two-part episode yeah. um i can't think of any other housekeeping there's been we so many strangers something. lately have been talking about having so many synchronicities. synchronicities yeah i had a crazy one two mornings ago do tell i was sitting there in my chair doing my research at home okay. in my recliner doing yep. research for the podcast and I was working on the theories part of the smiley face killer stuff. Okay. And the theory that I was working on is like tied in with sirens or something oh. drawing people to the water. Interesting. So I'm sitting oh, like here. like sirens. Like, okay, like mermaid gotcha. sirens. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. something drawing pe- men to the water. Yeah. So I'm typing this out. And on the TV, I have Channel 2 News. And they're, they have the meteorologist or whatever on. And they, they cut to... Um, at the the, the uh, Sturgeon Bay Skycam. Okay. And it's morning, the sun's coming up and it's over the beach. So I'm typing this up and he's sitting there talking and he's like he's like I don't know what it is about this time of year and the sunrise and the beaches, but he said it's almost like something's pulling me to the water, oh, like wow. I'm drawn to the water. Yeah. And I'm looking at the TV and I'm like holy crap because that's literally <laughs> what I'm like typing as yeah. he says it. But his phrase, something's drawing me to the water, is just like... It's very specific. It's so yeah. weird. And there's been so many like that. I think uh, uh, Carly, our Australian... Our Australian... <laughs> I don't know what that was. It just He's dropped. dropping change on the ground. Oh, yeah. Carly, the, our, 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 our... Aussie. Aussie listener. I was trying yeah. to figure out how to say... I can't do an Australian accent really well. <laughs> yeah, our Australian <laughs> listener, she just had a couple weird ones. And I've had a couple weird ones. So there's just been a lot of synchronicities lately, mm-hmm. and it scares me sometimes because it's like, is something big going to happen in the near mm-hmm. future? Because this world right now is a dumpster fire. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, I don't even want to go there, but... No, I don't want to go there It's a depressing either. place. The, the, the Scary, depressing place. shootings and all this stuff. It's just crazy. Yeah. We've had some local weird stuff. Yeah. But I think that sounds like it's been resolved now. Yeah, like all the school stuff. The in Keel. Yeah, the, yeah. the Keel stuff. But there, there was the there was was it a ton of bomb Fond threats. Lac or Appleton? One of them 
was closed because of bomb threats. And oh, I, really? I'm literally surprised yeah. we haven't had those at my school yet. Right, yeah. You know, because we've had issues at our school lately with fighting and, mm. and all this stuff. So it's just been crazy. The world's great. going to hell in a handbasket. But Chris and I are here to make it a little more bearable. A little bearable, lighter. A yeah. little lighter. Jump right into our package opening. Okay. I already got the ceremonial dagger from okay. Sophie and Adam. Ooh. It wouldn't be a package opening if I didn't grunt a little. Oh, did you see that? That was smooth. That was slick as snot. Lake Michigan Mothman. Is this Tobias? This is Tobias. Tobias wrote that. Who sent that? Who sent this? Somebody said they were sending us a book. On like, oh, wait, 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 there's stuff in here. Maybe it'll say who sometimes. Oh, crap. Do I have glasses? (laughs) If you don't, I do. I don't. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Seb. Kurt and Krista, it's Seb, the oh, guy who Sebastian. called in last episode. Sebastian. Yes, I've since joined the Facebook group also. I'm a longtime listener. Here's a book on new Mothman sightings around Lake Michigan. You guys are the best from Seb and Stephanie. Oh, thank you so much, oh, Sebastian and I Stephanie. Just, and I love that it's one of Tobias's Yes, book. thank you guys so much. I'm definitely going to take a picture what of this. What we need to do, and, and I know that will completely break our non-interview tradition. We have to get Tobias But I think on either, yeah, I mean, I think it's going to have to be a Skype. I don't think he's going to be able to come all the way here. And Emily, his wife is just yeah. as involved. Yeah, in... but I think we're going to have to do an interview thing with Tobias. Yeah, that would because... Be you know, I did, I talked about in our updates episode, I talked a little bit about the weird Mothman sightings in O'Hare by O'Hare. Yes, you did. But there's so many of them around the area that we could do another whole episode about the Wisconsin Mothman stuff. And it would be really, really cool to talk to Tobias. So Sebastian, really thank cool. you so yes. much for this book. Yes, thank you. Yeah, this is awesome. I'm actually going to start reading that because I do want to interview Tobias. Yes. That would be so cool. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sebastian. Yeah. Well, he calls himself Seb. I like Sebastian. I'm going to call him Seb. Yeah, Sebastian's actually a really cool name. It is. Okay. Um, Taste test? Yes. Is that where we're at? These are from our much-loved listener, Carl Wagner, who I talk to quite a bit, and he's awesome. So we're still working through a package he sent us previously, right? Okay, let's... I believe these are Mexican, like, based... Like, no, don't... Chris is already making a a face... (laughs) But I believe good luck with I believe these will be good. Okay, hold on. We gotta switch through our chairs, and I gotta get the oh, camera. Oh yeah, going. I keep forgetting about that. We'll be I right back. I charged the camera and the microphone. She texted so me last night like to, to okay. tell me that she was gonna remember <laughs> to do that. We'll be right back. Everything uh. seems to be working, or no? All right. <laughs> so one of these, I think we're gonna break in half because we kind of got a lot here. Okay. Okay, ready? Are you start recording? Yes. We are going. It's recording. Right? Yay! It's okay. yeah. It is blinking. So one of these, I think we're going to break in half. So the Your first mic one, is on, right? Yes. The first one, I double-checked, triple-checked, and I'm going to quadruple-check because it sucked. <laughs> and it's turned up here? Yes, okay. Yeah, yeah, I think we're good. I think we are good. Whew. All right. We are nailing this episode so far. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> so this one is from Carl, and it's Baritas. Strawberry-filled cookies. Ooh. He sent me a whole box. So okay. I oh, wow. One, so I get the rest of the box to yeah. eat at home. You can open that and then split okay. that in half. Or just a piece if you want. Yeah, I was going to say. Because we are going out for brunch today with Mark, oh. Mark and Rhonda. So, interesting. It's oh, not what I was expecting. No, me neither. neither. I'm still just going to split it, though. Okay. This reminds me of their, like, Newton. breakfast bar yeah. things. Hold on, I got to take a picture. Oh, I went to smell and just shoved <laughs> strawberry jam up my nose. <laughs> uh, I, I mean... There are worse things you could shove up your nose. Okay, hold on. Let me take a picture. I want to hold it up to the camera. 
so they can <laughs> see. It always sounds so sketchy. I'm going to take a picture and I'm going to hold it up close to the camera. Boom. Okay, ready? Yep. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's like a good, that mm-hmm. is like a breakfast bar. Mm-hmm. But it's more of a cookie. It's way more cookie than it is filling. Mm-hmm. Like a, like the, I expected more strawberry and, jam. And those breakfast bar things are really soft. Mm-hmm. This has just a, the slightest like really little good. crunch to it. It's like a soft sugar cookie almost. Yeah. This is really it good. It is really good. I'm glad you sent me a whole box. It's like a nice ratio of I expected more, filling to cookie. I expected more filling. Mm, that's good. <laughs> mm. Mm. That's for Kurt later. Mm, that's really good. What do you give it? Have we been rating our taste test? Yeah. Okay. I give it a uh, nine. I'm going to go with an eight. I'm just not a big. An I'm not a big fruit person, but this is good. Mm. The next one is the one that he sent too, but I think we're just going to break one in half, and then I'm going to eat the other one at home. This might be my favorite name for a taste test so far. <laughs> Boo-boo-loo-boo. Boo-boo-loo-boo. <laughs> it is a boo-boo-loo-boo bar. Boo-boo-loo-boo. Okay, let me try to get a picture that doesn't have a glare. It looks like there's chocolate involved. So chocolate and strawberry. I, am, ooh, there, I see we have a theme. Oh. And marshmallow. Oh, wow. Let me take a picture of this. It looks like a piece of poop. <laughs> that was stepped on. Look, yeah. Yeah. I just had this like vision of um, Caddyshack. <laughs> Duty. I always, I always have visions of Caddyshack. Ooh. It's oh, marshmallow. Yeah. It's marshmallowy, that's for sure. I'm going to take a picture of that. Ooh, it smells good. I don't know if that's going to be blurry. I'm weird with marshmallowy things. Some I'd like Ooh. and some I don't, and I think this smells good. This it is going to be. It does smell good. Okay, ready? Ready. Mmm. Mmm, and coconut. That's mm-hmm. not marshmallow, that's coconut. Oh my god! Mmm, mmm. It goes really well with the strawberry uh-huh. and the chocolate's like really. It's like a dark chocolate. It's kind of subtle. That's really good. I give this a ten. Yeah, I could eat this all day. Yeah, it, the combination is really good. Mmm, it's like it reminds it, me of like a peppermint patty that the with, outside with does. Yes, with strawberry mm-hmm. inside. Mm. That's perfect. Ten out of ten. This last one, I don't know. Mm, great. We should have started with that one. <laughs> oh boy, what in the world? Lemon, le- <laughs> lemon flavored salted apricot. Do you say apricot or apricot? Apricot. Me too. Because we're not weirdos. But why does it have to be lemon? Wouldn't apricot just be apricot flavored? You would think. I do like apricots. Okay. Lemon flavored salted dried oh, apricots. I'm gonna just. Hola, is that Hola brand? Take the easy Hola. way out. Hola. Como esta? They look like prunes. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They look like... Dried prunes. Let me take a picture. <laughs> Something about this tells me I'm not going to like the texture. <sighs> they could have made them more appealing looking. Yeah, they it don't... looks like a dried up shrimp. It looks like a walnut that has been sitting out in or the... Or like sea. super dog poop that's been cooking all summer. Yeah. Uh, it smells like an apricot. It does. I just but think the texture is going to be bad. It looks like a little brain. It does look like a little brain. A shriveled up dry brain. <laughs> okay, are you ready? Uh, no. Oh, my God. I can't even eat it. <laughs> this is terrible. Uh-uh. Uh, uh. I didn't even put it in my mouth. Oh. 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 
Oh, why Dear did we? God, why a, didn't we not start oh with those? Oh my god, ones? that is right up there with those uh, dunder dunder salts. Oh my god, I can't even imagine what the inside is I, like because oh, I can't get that far. That's gross. Oh, it's getting worse, and it's not even in my mouth anymore. Blah. Oh my Ugh. god, what do we do with this? I don't know. <laughs> it's like a biohazard. I don't know. <laughs> Let's put them back in here. Put ba- you can put them in the bag. You want to take this or something? Leave them down here. Corey might want to try. Oh, them. that's Corey right. Likes Corey likes to try stuff. the weird stuff. Ugh. Oh my god! We need to close it somehow. At least the dunder salts I did on my second go around. This I don't think I could. And you ended up kind of liking the dunder this, salts. This didn't I don't you? think I could. No. Oh, I was... couldn't even bite into it. No. Were you able to bite into no. it? No. It wasn't even like biteable. <laughs> I'm giving that a negative three. I'm giving Just that. A, I'm giving that a negative five. Ugh, that was pretty gross. Oh dear God. Can I, when you get up, oh no, I'm stuck. Can you hand me that water? Yeah. Okay. We need a rubber we band on here. Corey's going to want to try that. Oh, we have a rubber band. Look at this. Perfect. We have a rubber band. Oh. For once, we have something we need. Okay. You want to put it in that top drawer? Yeah. Ooh, All right. That was yeah. <laughs> Kurt just did a... Bye, guys. Bye. Are we back? We're back. Yep. I had a big old swig of coffee to try to get that taste out of my mouth. It would suck if like zombies took over and all we had to eat were the nasty things in our drawer I'd down here that we couldn't finish. I'd, I'd turn to cannibals. Ugh, that was rough. <laughs> what um, time are we looking at right now? Uh, 27 minutes, but that's yep. unedited version. All right. So. Are you ready to dive into our main story? This is one See that what you did there. <laughs> I didn't even consciously <laughs> do that. This is one that you wanted to do from the yes. start because you are fascinated totally with fascinated. the smiley face killer theory. Mm-hmm. And I was really not ever. And that's what it is. It's just a theory. A theory. There's no proof really that uh, this is a thing. But I'll just say I'm I'm going back and forth between. Is it real? Is it not? Is real? it real or is it not so real? So in doing research, you've maybe changed your mind just a smidge. Yeah. Yes, I have moved. My meter has moved up to it's a thing. Oh, okay. But whether it's a group of serial killers or whatever right. or not, it's something we'll get into in the next episode. But there is a be- pattern as well. Yeah, you're because there is no way that we could have done stories and theories in one short episode because right. there's there's so many theories and some of them are wackadoo, <laughs> but I want to cover as many theories as possible. Yeah. Even the wackadoo ones. Even the wackadoos. Uh, but our main topic today is stories of the supposed smiley face killers. So I'm assuming most of our listeners are aware of this. And if you're not, I'm just going to jump into like a a synopsis, a story that happened to kind of give you an idea of what we're looking at. A classic case. A classic case. But this is like one that's not talked about a lot, but this is like a textbook case of a a smiley face. It's so weird. Like, I don't know what to call it. Smiley face scenario, smiley face killer scenario. Yeah. But anyway... 18-year-old Chad Sharon was a lifelong straight-A student in Merrill, Wisconsin, and he ended up getting a full scholarship to Notre Dame in Indiana. On December 11, 2002, some of his doormates said that they were driving to a party off campus and they invited him along, so Chad hopped into the car with them. Around 1 o'clock a.m., Chad's friends said that they were going to leave, but Chad was having a good time and said he was going to stay a bit and then walk home because it was only like a half-mile walk or about five blocks back to his dorm. Around 2.30 a.m., Chad left the party. Numerous witnesses would later say that Chad had been drinking, but that he in no way appeared like stumbling drunk. And that's like common. common. That's a common theme in these. Mm -hmm. And the fact that he's, I'm just going to walk home by myself. Yep. 
Around 4 o'clock a.m., a security guard at a hospital for children nearby reported speaking to Chad, who had asked the guard for directions to the nearest convenience store. The guard pointed and directed him to the nearby 7-Eleven, which was the complete opposite way from any water in the area. Chad headed off in that direction, and it was the last time that he was seen alive. The security guard would later say that he thought he could smell alcohol on Chad, but once again, he in no way seemed drunk or even really tipsy. So when Chad didn't show up back at his dorm room, friends got worried and called the police. They talked to the security guard who told them about his encounter with Chad. They checked with the 7-Eleven, but no one at the 7-Eleven remembers seeing Chad or anyone matching his description. He wasn't caught on the security cameras, and there were no calls placed from the outside payphones to the Notre Dame campus that night. There was no sign of Chad for about two months. On February 12, 2003, two months after he disappeared, Chad's body was found in the St. Joseph River, a little over a mile away from where he was last seen. The medical examiner determined the cause of death to be accidental drowning, and determined that Chad had a blood alcohol content of a little more than .20. Some people say that the blood alcohol content in a situation like this isn't always accurate, since, since decomposition and other post-death factors can raise that number. In an interview with his family, Chad's parents called the events of that night suspicious and said that there is no way Chad would have went anywhere near a river on a cold morning at 4 o'clock a.m. Well, what's odd is that he was last seen heading in the opposite direction. Yeah, yeah. So it seems like a cut and dried case of a college kid getting drunk and falling into a river and drowning. But when you start to look at these, there's often puzzling aspects to it. When was his body found? Uh, Like time of distance from when he went missing. Two months. Two months. Okay. So it seems like a cut and dried case of a college kid getting drunk and falling into a river and drowning. But when you start to look at it, there are a few puzzling aspects to it. So many people said that Chad did not seem to be drunk, much less stumbling drunk and prone to total confusion. Where was Chad in the time between leaving the party and talking to the security guard? The hospital was actually farther away from the party than Chad's dorm was. So what was he doing there? Why did he not get to the 7-Eleven when he was heading in that direction away from the water? And how did he end up in the water? Mm-hmm. It's these little, like, what happened factors that make these deaths so similar to the missing 411 cases from national parks and woods that we talk about all the time. Stuff just doesn't add up. Yep. So one of the missing 411 books that Stephanie bought for us is called A Sobering Coincidence, and it's all about the college drownings. Uh, In the introduction of the book, David Politis says, quote, A few years ago, I was a guest on Coast to Coast AM radio with the host George Knapp. George is one of those radio professionals who actually does his homework. He reads the book and comes to the show with great questions and notes. George knew our work inside and out and knew the profile points intimately. At the end of that show, he stated that he believed our work would take us into the city. He knew that we purposely stayed away from city cases because it was easy to rationalize a disappearance as someone being abducted by a gang member, an angry former husband, etc., Those suspects didn't exist in these incidents we chronicled. As time passed, I had an epiphany one day when reading about the disappearance of a college-age man. The harder I looked into these cases, the more I was hooked and realized that the facts surrounding these disappearances matched what we've been studying for five years. George Knapp was correct. We're in the city now. So that book is all about the college drownings. Yeah. Yep. So you, maybe you're going to get to this. I'm going to get curted maybe. Is time of death been established for him? Who? This this young man. It, d- it didn't say. It didn't say. Because a hallmark, one of the hallmarks yeah. is time of death is often but, several days yes. or even weeks after they went missing. Yeah. 
Okay, yep. so that we're, was we're not, gonna get we're gonna get into the, the, the I didn't find it in, in that one because that was just okay. like a really just basic, little like totally a basic, basic one like yeah. college kid leaves a party, kind of tipsy, does things that we does can't things explain. that are weird, and then ends up dead in a body of water nearby. Right. And so, everyone who knows them yep. says they never would have done that. So this is a lot from taken from one article. An August 23rd, 2021 article on grunge.com called, quote, The Untold Conspiracy of the Smiley Face Murders says, quote, The story of the Smiley Face Murders begins in 1997. That year, Fordham University student Patrick McNeil walked out of the Dapper Dog Bar in New York City on the Upper East Side and disappeared. Detective Kevin Gannon caught the case, and a month later, McNeil's body was found floating in the East River. The medical examiner called the death a, quote, undetermined drowning, citing his high blood alcohol level, implying that a drunken McNeil simply fell into the river and drowned. But Gannon was convinced that it was a murder. Gannon swore to McNeil's parents that he would continue the investigation. He was joined then by fellow detective Anthony Duarte and eventually criminal justice professor Lee Gilbertson in the belief that McNeil was a murder victim. Between 1997 and 2008, police pulled out the bodies of 45 white college-age males out of rivers and lakes in more than 25 cities across 11 states. All of the victims were inebriated when they disappeared. According to the Daily Beast, while investigating the growing number of deaths they believe are linked to a single serial killer or coordinated group of killers, retired police detectives Kevin Gannon and Anthony Duarte noticed a creepy detail. At every location of a victim, there was a smiley face of some sort painted on an invisible nearby landmark. In fact, Gannon and Duarte claim that there are no fewer than 13 symbols commonly found near the location where alleged victims of the smiley face killers have been found. Like other than smiley faces? Other than smiley faces. Oh, uh, this is new to me. Pe- yeah, people don't really know what the other ones are. I'm going to get to one of them that okay. they say, but uh, everything that I heard prior to this was smiley face graffiti. Mm. Okay. One of the more compelling aspects of the smiley face killer theory is how similar most of these victims are, which supports the idea that the killer is targeting a specific type of person. As the Daily Beast reports, the victims are all young men attending college. They generally get good grades and have professional aspirations. They're usually quite athletic and popular. They're usually white, and they have almost always been out drinking at bars with friends prior to their disappearance. Some of the more recent victims that investigators have linked to the smiley face killers have been openly gay. The consistency in the victim certainly supports the theory that one person or a group is behind their deaths. What really sets the theory behind the smiley face killers apart from other stories about serial murders is the belief that it is not just a single killer. Gannon and Duarte, along with criminal justice professor Gilbertson, believe that the smiley face killings are in fact being conducted by a large, coordinated group of people. As reported by Heavy... Gannon believes that there may be more than a thousand people involved broken up into cells of 12 to 15 people in various cities. That would be insane and also terrifying. Yeah. I lean towards insane. It's like dark web stuff. Yeah, we'll get to that too. As the Seattle Times (laughs) notes, this would explain how some of the victims identified by Gannon and Duarte went missing on the same day in different cities. And that would be because there's cells of this group across the country that are coordinating attacks. He also theorizes that membership in this murderous gang might change over the years as some members age out or die and others are recruited. If Gannon is correct, acting as a group would also help confuse any investigation as law enforcement would naturally assume a single perpetrator and be thrown off the scent if different people were involved, especially if they had no connection to the victims. 
According to Rolling Stone, the investigators have a database that identifies an astonishing 335 possible victims based on the profile they developed and the physical characteristics of the crime scenes. It should be noted that Gannon, Duarte, and Gilbertson admit that these are, quote, possible victims. There's no way to prove that these deaths are linked. The circumstantial evidence is compelling, however. Almost all of the deaths that former detectives Gannon and Duarte believe are connected to the smiley face killer have been ruled either accidental or undetermined drowning. The use of the word undetermined usually means that there's no clear evidence of foul play. Frighteningly, Gannon notes that the smiley face killers have become more active in the last few years. He theorizes that this is because law enforcement has failed to take them seriously, and so the group is feeling more secure and confident in their ability to kill with impunity. The FBI, however, disagrees. In 2008, the FBI made the following statement in a press release, quote, over the past several years, law enforcement and the FBI have received information about young college-aged men who were found deceased in rivers in the Midwest. The FBI has reviewed the information about the victims provided by two retired police detectives who have dubbed these incidents the, quote, smiley face murders and interviewed an individual who provided information to the detectives. To date, we have not developed any evidence to support links between these tragic deaths or any evidence substantiating the theory that these deaths are the work of a serial killer or killers. The vast majority of these instances appear to be just alcohol-related drownings. The FBI will continue to work with the local police in the affected areas to provide support as requested. I also think they wouldn't admit to the idea that it is a serial killer or killers. Yeah. And that, because that would cause panic. Yes, and that that's one of the big things about this case is that they, like FBI law enforcement says no, that mm-hmm. this is not... Yeah. And other people say, yeah, I mean, you guys need to look into this. So you, did you watch that documentary series? Yeah, I did. And that those, that was the guys from the Missing yes. Laura Murray podcast, right? I think so. So one thing you mentioned is that usually there's no signs of foul play. But I do remember cases where victims had injuries that couldn't be explained Yeah, we're going to get, by, in, we're gonna get okay. into some of these too. And that, yeah. that's the, why people are saying it's almost like the police, the FBI is covering up the fact that somebody or a group of somebody's are killing these kids. I feel like that's a common, that's actually a really common factor too, is that the police work in almost all these cases is really questionable. Yeah. Oh yeah, 100%. Are you done interrupting me now? Like, like the, like the, uh, oh my God, like someone the, on. Like our, our interview or our, our review yeah. said. So, how many, I mean, people have complained that you interrupt me. Yeah. So, I thought it was really funny to find someone who gave us a really low rating that was like, they can't handle Krista because she just keeps interrupting Kurt with stupid comments. <laughs> because oh, wow. you, you sent me that and i'm like what i'm like i feel like like you should talk more like inter- like well, interrupt they did not more like me. but they did not like you interrupting no, my like my me. my spiel i guess yeah because you sent me some of the other ones like the other yeah. reviews we got and stuff but yeah so <laughs> you can, inter- you can interrupt only... me anytime you okay, like i'm just I... letting you know i want you to interrupt me more i will say just a side note we have overwhelmingly more positive reviews than we have negative yeah. reviews so that's a good but thing. i just thought it was funny that somebody too. said that you <laughs> The complete opposite of what other people have said. Yeah, I was like, what? I always interrupt (laughs) you. Oh, funny. So yeah, anyway, where were we now? Before Uh, I so rudely interrupted Before you you just (laughs) threw me completely off my train of thought, I'm just going to pack up my stuff and go home, to be honest with you. I'm out of here. I'm out of here. If the smiley face killers are real, there's one good... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) If the smiley face killers are real, there's one good reason it's been so hard to produce real evidence of their coordinated serial killing. According to the Daily Beast, they apparently use the dark web to organize and communicate. 
Makes sense. Yes. The dark web is a network of websites that require a special web browser using the anonymous Tor protocol to access. While many people use the dark web in order to preserve their privacy, it's known that many criminal organizations also use the dark web in order to freely sell illegal things like weapons or drugs or to trade illegal information. That makes the dark web perfect for a gang of killers to recruit more members, identify victims, and coordinate actions. According to former Detective Gannon, he and his fellow investigators once got close to one of these websites. He was given a dark web address, but when he accessed the site, he faced a password prompt and a demand that he turn on his camera so the site's administrators could see who he was. Oh, heck no. <laughs> he didn't have the password and says that he wouldn't have agreed to turn on the camera anyway. All of, I'm going to have an episode at one point about the dark web, and I'm going to dive into the dark web, and I want to see what it's all about. I, I don't think I think it's one of those urban legends that are scarier than the actuality mm, of it. I think there's a lot of really terrifying stuff that happens there, actually. All of the young men who Gannon and Duarte believed to be victims of the smiley face killers were all out drinking before they disappeared, but the two retired police detectives believed that there's another substance involved, gamma-hydroxybiterate, or bitterate, usually referred to as GHB, uh, a notorious date-rape date drug. drug. Yeah. As WebMD explains, GHB is colorless and tasteless and can cause extreme sedation and complete memory loss. Its lack of taste or color makes it very easy to slip into someone's drink. According to E! Online, GHB has been found in about 30 of the drowning victims linked to the smiley face killers, but Gannon and Duarte believe the number is much, much higher. They told Rolling Stone that the number is probably closer to 99.9% .9 of the cases. I don't mm. know if I believe that. The problem, they explain, is that GHB isn't usually included in toxicology reports. This has led many families to authorize private toxicology scans, which have revealed the presence of the drug. Perhaps the creepiest detail to emerge from the investigation conducted by Gannon, Duarte, and Gilbertson is the fact that many of the bodies appear to have been staged. As they write in the book they published in support of their theories called, quote, Case Studies in Drowning Forensics, one example is the body of Tommy Booth, who vanished in January 2008. His body was found two weeks later, face down in the water with his arms folded neatly under him. Sticks had been pushed into the soft dirt at strategic places to hold his body in place, making the possibility that his body had been purposely posed and placed in that spot very clear. As Gannon, Duarte, and Gilbertson note in their book, the chances that this pose was accidental are very slim, and the chance that the sticks holding Booth's body in place became wedged there naturally are extremely low. All the evidence points to the body being staged. So here are some typical features of a potential smiley face scenario. Number one, the body is often found in an unusual position in the water. Drowning victims are usually found face down. Right. A lot of these are found in completely different positions. The gases and decomposition yes. yep. all yep. gather in a spot and you float that way. Number two, the victim is usually male, good-looking, star student, popular, great grades, etc. So mm -hmm. I was never on this list <laughs> and when I was in college. Number three, there's usually either an unusually high or unusually low amount of alcohol in the bloodstream, and often there are traces of GHB, a date rape drug. In almost every case, the body shows no sign of water damage consistent with being in the water since the time that they went missing, and this is a big one. There's ones, you know, there's people that are missing for six months, and when they find the body, everybody says it's like it was there two weeks. Right, the decomposition yep. doesn't match. Yep. Do you, as a side note, I mean, is GHB something that people would take recreationally? Yeah, it is. Okay. But we'll get into that more. But at a bar? We'll get into that more in the theories in the okay. next episode, but I want to I want to do a lot more studies on GHB. Yeah. 
but it's scary. I, I've talked on here about how my friend Erica's friend was slipped a GH, I uh, a, a, a day rape drug in too. Manitowoc. Yeah. And they said it was the weirdest thing because she they went to the bathroom, left their drinks at the bar, came back, she drank it, and they, they said within like 10 minutes, she would say something. And then a minute later, she would say something and they'd be like, you just said that. And she was like, I don't, I didn't say that. And then it, she just got so mm-hmm. out of it and weird. Mm-hmm. It's freaky. It creeps me out. It is scary. Yep. Uh, number five, the bodies show signs of having been on land or trauma not consistent with drowning. Mm -hmm. Number six, some bodies are found partially or completely frozen, which is weird. And number seven, there's often graffiti of a smiley face near the area where the body was believed to have been put into the water or other symbols such as the word Sincinawa, which has been seen in a few of the areas. What does that mean? It's a Native American word. I believe it means rattlesnake or something like that. Okay. But I don't know if I really talk about that in here, but one of the people that went missing, uh, they found Sincinawa. And I I don't remember if it was the same murder or another one, but they believe that the person was was put into the water near a road named Sincinawa. Hmm. So they believe that, you know, where it said that they believe there's what, 13 different symbols they use. They believe that one of those symbols is the word Sinsinoa, but. I just wonder what the significance of that is. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. An April 29th, 2008 article in the New York Daily News called, quote, XNYPD cop says smiley face is a link in 40 deaths by a serial killer syndicate. The article says, quote, these killings seem to happen in regional clusters. And of course, what else happens in regional clusters? Missing 411. Oh, yeah. All of the missing 411. <laughs> He's <laughs> just like waiting for me to know yeah. the answer. Like uh. all of the missing 411 cases are based yes. on regional clusters. Mm-hmm. And that's why that's there's so many tie-ins between missing 411 and the smiley face killers. Um, with the missing 411 stuff, a lot of the missing 401 cases uh, involve bodies of water or people are found in bodies of water. Uh, tracking dogs, scent tracking dogs are used, sometimes providing puzzling results. Survivors have been known to have no memory of what has happened to them. A lot of them are people who are in great physical shape or are highly intelligent. A lot of them are found in areas that have been previously searched. And a lot of times uh, their clothes have been strangely removed or neatly folded where the person disappeared. And that shows up in a lot of both of these. Mm. So there is a weird tie-in between yeah. the missing 411 stories Definitely and the smiley parallels. face. Yeah. So that's, it's just bizarre. But we'll get into the one that is considered basically the first victim that got everybody thinking that there was something going on, and that's Patrick McNeil. This is the one in New York? Yes. So that's interesting. I didn't know this started in New York. Yeah. I thought it was more of a Midwest. But people are thing. saying that it's it's gone back, you know, like... Much the, further than yeah, that? Yeah, much okay. further than that. But people didn't start realizing that there was a connection with all of these right. until like this one. And we probably didn't have the forensics yeah. that would tie yep. those cases. Yeah. So this comes from two different websites, an article on the casual criminologist and an article on the GDI Investigations, which is the Global Death Investigations website. And that's the one that I believe is run by Duarte and Gannon and those guys. Okay. On Sunday, February 16th, 1997, Fordham University student Patrick McNeil went out drinking with friends at a bar in Manhattan called the Dapper Dog. And I love that name. Mm-hmm. I love that. I was going to say bar. that before when the you da- started Yeah, that. the Dapper Dog. The place was pretty popular with college students and was pretty crowded that night. Patrick was good looking, pretty popular with the students and intelligent. He wanted to join the FBI after college. He was also a pretty big athletic guy and was known to drink on occasion without any real problems. The night of the 16th, Patrick had a few beers at the bar, which was nothing unusual for him, 
but that night he became unusually highly inebriated. Around midnight, he went to the bathroom and forced himself to throw up. He planned on walking home with a female friend, but she was taking too long, so he headed out on his own. People who were outside the bar saw him fall to the ground several times, and they said it was more like he was on some kind of narcotic than he had just been drinking. Witnesses say that there also was a double-parked vehicle outside the bar occupied by a man and a woman, and the vehicle was observed following Patrick south on 2nd Avenue. Patrick fell to the ground a short distance later, and the vehicle that was following him stopped and waited. When Patrick started walking south again, the vehicle started to follow him. That's Is it weird that people just watched this and didn't do anything to help Not him? really, because... I guess it's New York. Yeah. <laughs> In Wisconsin, yeah. how many people would have been like, oh, are you okay? Yeah. Oh, oh, you yeah, fell down. Let me buy down. you a beer. Let me, buy you a beer? <laughs> let me go buy you a beer. Uh, Patrick was last observed turning left onto 90th Street, heading in the direction of the East River with the vehicle still following him. Hmm. That's super suspicious. I think I would have at least made note of the license plate. Yeah. Yeah, but you're a college-age drunk yeah, kid. You don't you're care. not going to be really... I suppose. You know, you would, but I think most people wouldn't. You're, <laughs> you're clear-headed about that stuff. Two months later, Patrick was found drowned in the East River. On April 7th, 1997, his body was recovered in the Bay Ridge section of Brooklyn at the Owl's Head Water Pollution Control Plant at the 69th Street Pier on Shore Road. So he, two months later. Well, yep, not quite two months. Yep. Okay. He was over 12 miles away from where he was last observed in Manhattan. 12 miles? 12 miles. Further... Oh, my nose is running... Further investigation revealed that Patrick's body should never have been recovered where it was, considering information obtained about the water currents for the East River and the NYPD harbor unit that patrols the river daily. Patrick seems to have been abducted, driven to that location, and deposited there for him to have been recovered at that location. Further investigation revealed that Patrick was recovered in only his jeans, underwear, and socks. We find it hard to believe that Patrick took off most of his clothing and decided to jump into the East River in February. Right. In this, New York. In New York. This means chilly. that his alcohol, uh, this means that his actual blood alcohol content upon entering the water was probably more like 0.12 or around six drinks. This is not that drunk for a young six foot, 195 pound man. Right. You know, six, six drinks is what people in Wisconsin drink when they're deciding if they're going to go out drinking that <laughs> night, basically. Yeah. You know, it's also not consistent with the kind of behavior he exhibited in the bar's bathroom or outside the bar right after that. If this was his true blood alcohol content upon leaving the bar, then something else made Patrick sick that night. Patrick was also found floating on his back, which is extremely unusual for drowning cases, especially one of an individual with his height and body weight. Most drowning victims are found flo floating face down. In the autopsy report, the medical examiner states, quote, Circumferentially around the neck, there is a pattern which consists of numerous vertical lines evenly spaced around his neck in a pattern as if to suggest some kind of binding. The autopsy photo clearly shows what looks like a ligature mark around Patrick's neck as though he were bound in some way. Additional reviews of the autopsy photographs discovered that there were multiple fly eggs in the pubic hairs of Patrick's groin area. They were in an arrested state of development. Gannon and the team concluded that Patrick had to have been dead on land for a period of time in order for the flies to lay their eggs on him before he was placed into the water. Simply put, flies do not lay eggs on a deceased human body in temperatures under 52 degrees, especially at night with New York temperatures in the 40s, like when Patrick went missing. According to the medical examiner's report, the severe blackening of Patrick's head and upper torso were the result of exposure to the elements and advanced decomposition. 
Duarte and the team adamantly disagrees. Gannon and Gilbertson's examination of the autopsy photographs, and I've never heard this part before, Gannon and Gilbertson's examination of the autopsy photographs suggested that Patrick had been burned to charring from his head to his waist. It clearly appeared to be anti-mortem injuries, which means before he was dead. Mm -hmm. A closer look at the photographs supported a conclusion that Patrick's back was protected from these injuries, except slightly around the lower waist region. This information seemed to show that Patrick was most likely bound around his neck to a chair of some type or some object that kept his back flush with it, which subsequently protected his upper back while allowing part of the fire or flame or whatever to move around his lower waist to partially burn that area, but not to the point of charring. That's just frightening to it think is. about like, that, getting alive? tortured. Yeah, he was alive when that happened. You know. Uh, How but, does any of this add up to a drowning? I don't know, but <laughs> I, I didn't see a lot of the stuff about the burning on other sites that mm-hmm. I read about him. It just seemed to be Duarte's and those guys' idea. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. His feet did not present an extent of skin slippage that would be consistent with having been submerged in water for 50 days. In fact, the absence of any skin slippage suggested to us that his feet had been in the water for no more than 24 hours before he was found. Given all this, we theorize that Patrick's death was not an accidental drowning. He was stalked, abducted, held for an extended period of time, murdered, and disposed. After his torture and burning, he remained on land for a short period of time in order for the houseflies to lay eggs in his groin area. During this time, decomposition started and became visible on his legs. He was then transported to Owl's Head and placed into the East River, whereon he was discovered and recovered within 24 hours, which explains the absence of skin slippage on his feet. Since Patrick's murder and disposal seemingly only involved three or four days of the total 50 days that he was missing, then one must ask, where was Patrick for those other 47 days? So was there a symbol found? I believe so. Okay. I'm, I'm not exactly sure, but I believe... But we'll get into it more in the next one. But I'm just not a big fan of the smiley face graffiti. I mm. think I feel like it you has nothing. Think it's nothing coincidental. To, yeah, I do. Th- I do 100% think it's coincidental. Okay. Do you think it's coincidental? I don't know. I guess I don't have enough. I yeah. thought most of them had a smiley face nearby. So I believe his did. I'm not exactly sure. But not all of them do. No, not all of them do. Because a lot of people theorize that the smiley face is put somewhere where they were put into the water. So they might not necessarily find where the person had been put into the water right. to find the smiley face mm-hmm. there. You know, I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't, a smiley face is so ubiquitous. I sign. They're everywhere. When the kids go to the bathroom, we're supposed to sign their 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 books so that if they're asked in the hallway and i sign everything with mr k and a smiley face uh, i sign everything with a smiley face yeah, they are everywhere uh i didn't send you a picture but i when i was at school the other day i was out on the track because we had our sixth grade olympics on the track there was a chalk smiley face mm-hmm. somebody made so they're they're mm-hmm. everywhere so i just don't the, the smiley face symbol doesn't hold a lot it's a very common to me. piece it of is. graffiti and that's what too. that's what one of the podcasts i said said the thing is that anybody can go out and tag something with a smiley face because right. it's so easy to make yes you know, so I don't know. I believe that there was one found by him, but I'm not exactly sure. But he was considered to be like the, the first, first one that led people to think, you know, but like I said, so many, I didn't see a lot of other sites that talked about him being burned. This almost sounds like a uh, a red room scenario mm-hmm. on the dark web where right. somebody is tortured and yeah. then killed and then put into the river. But yeah. Patrick McNeil is, is this always... This sounds more like a, a crime of opportunity, yeah. though. Yep. Not something that was planned specifically with this guy in yeah. mind. Yep. 
at this point, I'm going to send people, if you're interested in this, to listen to another podcast. There is a podcast called Tim Dillon is Going to Hell. Hmm. He's a comedian. Okay. And he does a podcast. <laughs> and uh, I take it that his topic and his take on the topics is why he's going to hell. I think so. Okay. Because it can get pretty vulgar and stuff. Yeah. But he's got, I don't know if it's a New Jersey accent, a New York accent. But it was a decent, it was a decent podcast. But he did an episode on the Smiley Face Killers. And he's a comedian. So it is, it is Tim Dillon is going to hell January, 2019, uh, January 26, 2019 episode number 132 called the smiley face killers. But he was doing a comedy show in Minneapolis and he was talking to another comedian that was there and they were talking about the podcast. And he said, yeah, my next episode is about the smiley face killers. And the other comedian is like, you need to talk to my friend. So he gave him the friend's phone number. So on this podcast, he calls the guy, not knowing anything about his story. So, you know, he starts, he's talking to him and he's like, are you one of them? And the guy's like, no, no, no. So the guy tells his story that he survived what he thinks was a, a attempt. Really? And it's, it's really, really, I've it's, never it's heard like of a, that. it's like a longer interview and it didn't once set off my BS detector. Like I thought this guy was like legit. legit and what yeah. his story is about is that he was going to a UW college in Wisconsin and but you should go listen to the whole interview because the whole interview is actually really good but one night he was it was near his birthday so he was having a party at the dorms with some friends of his Mm -hmm. and none of his he had a fake ID and none of his friends had a fake ID and there was another girl that was at the party that was like a friend of a friend of a friend and she had a fake ID so she she was like do you want to go out to a bar so they got a taxi and the two of them went to the bar. And when they got to the bar, she ran into like four or five friends of hers, like male friends of hers. So she ditched him at the bar kind of. Mm-hmm. So he's at the bar and didn't really know anybody, but he loved playing pool. So he went in the back and was playing pool with a bunch of guys and he got a beer and set it on the railing there while he was playing pool, not watching the beer. And he says after like an hour or so, he said that he had one or two beers at the party at the dorm and one beer at this place. So he said he was drinking his beer at the bar, and he said that at one point the girl's like, oh, we're going to go to another bar. Do you want to go? And he thought it was weird that she kind of ditched him, but then she came over to him and was like, you know, do you want to go to another bar? And he's like, yeah. So they, the two of them walked outside, and then she's like, I forgot something inside the bar. And she turned and went back into the bar, and he said that's the last thing he remembers. Hmm. He says he remembers nothing after that, except he has this weird memory of opening his eyes and having this these bright lights in his eyes that were like humming. And he says, like, if you imagine like a, a rest stop on the highway bathroom that has like the like super blinding lights, lights, like the fluorescent, super blinding hum. yeah. humming lights. And he said he has that image in his head for a second and then that's gone. Weird. And then he wakes up and he's on a dam. <laughs> he's on the walkway of a dam oh where on one side right near him, it's just a straight drop down into the water. So he's he has no idea what happened to him, and he's, does this girl he was with have any explanation? Well, he he's he doesn't know what he can't get. Everything's padlocked, and there's a barbed wire fence, and he has no idea how he would have gotten into this place. Wow. But he was like inches away from rolling off the dam into the water, so he manages to like climb the barbed wire fence, and then. Finds out he's in the, they never say what town, but people that listen to the podcast were like using things he said and they think it's Stevens Point. Okay. Which is where like Stevens Point, La Crosse, Eau Claire, mm-hmm. like all those places those in Wisconsin Western, have a lot of like these, these smiley mm-hmm. face drownings. Because it's near the Mississippi. But then he said that he, 
made his way down the road, tried to flag down a cop, and he said every 15 minutes he was blacking out again, and then he would forget what happened in the previous... But he finally made his way back to the dorms, and the guy, his roommate's like, what the hell happened? And uh, to this day, he doesn't know, but one of the students at school was talking to him one day, and she said, have you ever heard of this? So he looked it up, and he said, this is kind of exactly what happened. You know? So... Again, I go back to, didn't he go back to that girl and say, he, what happened? He wasn't good friends with her. He was friends, friends, friends of her. Still would have But they her all said that she doesn't seem like the kind that would have done that. But she would, you'd think that he left with her. So at least she could fill in some holes. Yeah. You know what I mean? But Maybe I don't she think he ever got back in touch with her because she wasn't like a wow. friend of his, just a friend of a friend of a friend. But they all vouched and said she wouldn't have done that. So it's like, mm. but he says everything and he talked to Duarte and these guys, and they said that is 100% like you were a survivor of a smiley face. Yeah. You know, and he says that he has no idea how he would have gotten on the dam. He said, there is no way that I could have. Someone would have had to carry, let yeah. him in and yeah. carry him in there. Yeah. So he said it was just bizarre. He says he has no idea what happened. But it sounds like GHB because that's what yeah. it does is you forget what you did 10 minutes ago. So it sounds like he was slipped inside the bar, GHB. Mm-hmm. But the girl saying, I forgot something, let me run inside, is suspicious. Like, did somebody nab him when he was outside? So it's a really, really good wow. interview. And it, I, I feel like I have a pretty good BS detector when somebody's being interviewed, and yeah. it did not go off at all with this guy. Mm. It really didn't. So that's Tim Dillon is going to hell, episode 132, Smiley Face Killers. Give that episode a listen if Chris is writing it down. I'm, no, I'm going to look it up in my Apple podcast right now so I don't forget. I'm getting back into podcasts again. Tim Diller. Dylan. 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 Okay. The Tim is going Dylan to hell. Show. Yep. I was listening to it again on the way down here just to refresh my memory. But what I find interesting is the, the, the memory of him opening his eyes and seeing those, the bright lights. Yeah, that is weird. And that almost to me sounds like an alien abduction or something like that. And that's going to be one of the one of the things oh, we talk really? about that's in the theories. Theory? That's going to be a theory. That's going to be one of the theories we talk that's about. Definitely not. Is it just called the Tim Dillon Show? Yes. Okay. Okay. I'm at least going to add it so that I can go find it later. Episode what number? Oh, wow. 132. Okay. I'll get to that later. I'll get to that. You'll get to that. So another case is happened on January 8th, 2006, and that is Cullen Fortney in La Crosse, Wisconsin. Good old lacrosse. Around 7 a.m. on January 8th, 2006, 21-year-old Cullen Fortney walked into Gunderson Lutheran Medical Center sodden and caked with mud, wearing no coat and no shoes. He told the hospital staff that he had fallen into the river, but, quote, didn't know where or how it happened. Fortney, a student at the University of Wisconsin in Madison, had been visiting friends in downtown lacrosse. He and his buddies took a cab that evening from a home in the 400 block of South 20th Street to the downtown bars where he spent the evening drinking beer and mixed drinks. According to police reports, Fortney said he left the downtown bars around 1.45 a.m. when he became separated from his friends. He remembers very little after that until he found himself in the river fighting a strong current that was rapidly carrying him downstream. That's scary. After an estimated 15 minutes, he was able to grab onto a tall concrete structure and pull himself out. Sometime later, he awoke again on a rocky bank outside Gunderson Lutheran Hospital. He told police that he had somehow passed out. He still had his wallet, but he had lost his hat, coat, shoes, cell phone, and $20 in cash. His blood alcohol content was about .043 on Sunday at 9 a.m., which means it would have been about .163 around 1.30. That's not that bad. No. That for Wisconsin? No. I mean, you shouldn't be driving a car or anything. No, but, but it's, it's not, not like It's not inebriated. stumbling drunk, passing right. out. 
On January 13th, investigators concluded that Fortney had fallen into the river, thought to be about 32 degrees that night, but for some reason did not go underwater. After Fortney narrowed down where he might have gone in, police did find some of his personal items just lined up along the river's edge. Mm-hmm. That's so weird. Lacrosse Police Captain Robert Abraham said that the investigation has been suspended, though it is not considered closed. The case of a truck reported stolen that same night by a friend of Fortney's who was believed to have been at the same bar that night has been cleared, police said. Fortney's friend, Nick Thompson, 25, also of Viraqua, turned up the same morning as Fortney at the same hospital passed out in the lobby. He told police he didn't have any idea how he got there and that his pickup truck, which he had parked in a nearby parking lot, was missing. The vehicle was found in the 900 block of King Street. Video footage from the parking lot showed a man with keys entering the truck around 3 o'clock a.m. and driving away. While the footage isn't sharp, the man is thought to be Thompson, Abraham said. Police do not believe the truck was stolen. So it's just a weird, weird. like he, this one guy falls, like wakes up floating in the in river. In the river. And then his friend wakes up at the hospital with no idea how he got there. Hmm. So that's weird. Yeah. Yeah. So from a January 27, 2019 article on heavy.com called, quote, who are the smiley face killers? Does this gang exist? The article says... Gannon says that the cells exist in multiple states, but most are focused on the upper Midwest. In Wisconsin, Gannon says La Crosse and the Eau Claire area are really big, and by Sheboygan, which is scary, because that's right here. Mm -hmm. Gannon claimed that there's a cell in Michigan. He says, quote, one is definitely in East Lansing, Michigan, too. We have a group in Chicago, he adds, adding that a lot of the victims in Chicago have been from other cities where there are apparently cells. For example, he said, one kid in Chicago for a weekend came from East Lansing. So hmm. it's almost like somebody in East Lansing is telling people in Chicago, this kid's coming from here, kill him. How would they know that? I don't know. I don't Social know. Social media? He said other areas with cells are Minneapolis, Minnesota, Indiana and Iowa. I mean, a lot of this happened before social media was really a thing, though. And he says a lot of it seems to be focused on the upper Midwest area. And Wisconsin is like one of the big places. So now we get to Todd Geib. This is a weird one. And this is one of the ones that constantly shows up. Didn't I do it? Did I do an episode on him? Did you? Yeah. You Didn't might I? have. You might have. That it's his last name that it, he goes to a party out in the country. Yes. Yeah, I did an episode on this, a mini mystery on this. I don't but remember this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On Saturday the 11th of June, 2005, at around 7.30 p.m., Todd left the apartment that he was sharing with his cousin to go to the Half Moon Bar and Grill to meet up with some other friends who he left with around 9.30 p.m. Their destination was an all-night keg party being held at a nearby apple orchard about two miles north of White Road in Casnovia, Michigan. I don't Mm -hmm. remember you talking about this. And located just about a mile and a half from where he lived, where his friend dropped him off without incident. At around 12.45 a.m., things were apparently getting pretty rowdy at the party with a fight breaking out that threatened to transform into a full-on brawl. It seems to have been enough to urge Todd to leave, so he left the party on foot, calling the friend who had dropped him off there to let him know he was on his way back home. He left a message for his friend saying that he was going to walk back to his cousin's place, which no one really thought much of since it was close by and he was familiar with the area. From between 12.47 a.m. and 12.57 a.m., Guy made a series of phone calls that were a bit odd to say the least. At 12.47 a.m., he called a friend who had driven him to the party to say that he had, quote, had enough and was walking home. He then called a friend at 2.51 a.m., but all he said was, I'm in a field, before the phone call cut off. The friend called back and heard only what she thought was either heavy breathing or the wind before the call ended. I thought it was his sister. It might have been. Okay. 
The phone was then used twice over the next few minutes in an attempt to call the friend back with the last attempt ending at 12.57 a.m. The phone was not used again after that and no further calls went through. This would be the last time anyone heard from Todd and he would go missing. A massive search was mounted to try to find him, including around 1,500 police and volunteers as well as aircraft who scoured the orchard and the area near the party site as well as a stretch of road where he was expected to have walked along to get home, but they found nothing even after thoroughly searching the area three times. It was as if Guybe had vanished off the face of the earth. On July 2nd, 2005, three weeks after he had gone missing, his body was found, but it was very odd for several reasons. First was that the body was found in Ovid Hall Lake, about two miles from Todd's home, right in the middle of the area that the search had been held, and it was completely and thoroughly searched. Then there was the fact that the body was reported as being discovered, quote, standing upright in the water, with the head and shoulders breaking out of the surface as if he had been swimming and had just gotten stuck there. Rather strange was that he was fully clothed with his wallet still in his pocket, so the big question was how had he gotten into that lake to turn up dead? That's all stuff you talked about, huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> <laughs> that, the, the odd part about that was how he was found standing up in the lake. That was what I remember the most about that. It's just an odd position to be found in. Yeah, it is. And uh, what about the phone calls? The phone calls yeah. were super weird. It's, he should it didn't not sound ha- like he was drunk or no, anything. No, and it shouldn't have been the posi- that position he was in. Uh, one of the people that did a, the, a pathologist, Dr. Michael Sikursa, found by careful analysis of the photos and autopsy data that while Guybe had been missing three weeks, it seems that he had only been dead in the water for two to five days. Mm-hmm. It was also determined that he had no water in his lungs and that there were other clues that pointed to the body being placed in the water after death. Uh, Dr. Eric Benbow, another biologist from Michigan State University, said there should have been more biofilm, more slime buildup. Uh, it looked like part of the head was exposed, so there should have been insects in the mouth and in the ears and in the folds of the skin, and there weren't. Mm-hmm. So there's just a lot of weird stuff. I was going to go into more, but if we've already covered this. Yeah, it's another people... one of those where he was clearly dead long before he was found in the water, or was yeah. placed in the water, yeah. I should say. And and. Uh, Todd, uh, Kathy Guybe, his mother, continually fought to get the case reopened, but authorities refused to do so despite the evidence against it being an accidental drowning. Mm-hmm. So nobody really knows what happened to him. Right. And, you know, this we'll get into this when we get into the theories in the next episode, but does the fact that so many of these happen in winter and with the water frozen or semi-frozen affect the way that the bodies are found? I mean, is that possible? You know, so that's, we're going to get more into that in the next episode because so many of these are in winter and when it's cold and stuff I mean, you could imagine someone placed in the water or whatever, and then there's a freeze and they kind of get frozen in a weird position. I could see that happening. Or the freezing affects the decomposition, the gases in the body. So that's possible. Yeah. The phone call from the field is weird too. It's like if he was just walking from the orchard to the road to walk back, how, how did he end up in a field? Unless he tried taking a shortcut, maybe cell reception wasn't good. I don't know. The the brother of the person who owns the area of the lake was on said day or two before he was found, he was boating on that lake. I remember You know, so, I don't know, but that all this is the Todd guy one constantly comes up in the smiley face. Mm-hmm. But but it's like, how would one of the if there is a smiley face gang, would one of them had to have been at that party and seen him leave the party? Seems like kind of a not a, a remote stretch, area, but, but it's it seems really like small just such town. a stretch to have, yeah, you know, it. I don't know, it's suspicious, but is it related? I'm not sure. Well, that's the thing that we're going to get into, I think, more in the next episode, but. Like this to me is more of a missing four one one. Like 
like David Politis, it yeah. sounds like he doesn't believe in a smiley face gang, but he thinks that whatever he believes is causing the missing 401 cases in the these. woods is also mm-hmm. causing these, but he doesn't think it's a gang of killers. Mm-hmm. You know? Right, because I don't think the missing 411 is a gang of killers. No, but I mean, like these are so have so much in common. Yeah. So I don't know. It's just very weird. So, but a lot of them, like I said, are centered in Wisconsin. Uh, it's said that nine drunken men have drowned in the Mississippi and the La Crosse area between 1997 and 2012. Mm-hmm. And is that because Wisconsin is such a hard drinking state? It is. You know, and Especially it is. our college towns. Yeah, it is. So I don't know. But then we get into Luke Homan. In the fall of 2006, Luke Homan disappeared from downtown La Crosse after celebrating Oktoberfest with a group of friends. Oktoberfest is, uh, is huge mm-hmm. in, in La Crosse. I like believe Octo- I've been there for Oktoberfest. Have you for Oktoberfest? Yeah. Is like a big drink. Back in the day. Big drink fest. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is. It they is, shut like streets down. Yeah, and, it's yeah. huge. And it's like a big, big, big drunk yeah. fest. So, As it should be. It's Oktoberfest. Exactly. Which always happens in September for some reason. Yeah. Explain that to weird, me. That's weird, but whatever. Because <laughs> it's warmer, maybe. <laughs> maybe. Holman was found dead three days later in the Mississippi River in La Crosse, Wisconsin. The autopsy revealed acute alcohol intoxication as a major contributing factor to his death, as well as cold water drowning. Drug tests were run on Holman. All toxicology tests turned out to be negative. Another UW La Crosse student was charged with obstruction in his investigation. It's believed that he was the last person to see Holman alive. He told the police that Holman had gotten into an altercation with another bar patron and fled, but he told a different story to Homan's friends and other UW students saying that he had been cut when he was punched by a man that was fighting with Homan and that three men were involved in the altercation. The young man seemed upset and nervous upon being questioned by the police during the search for Homan. He said that three men had gotten into an altercation with Homan and had struck him several times and then followed him out of the bar, The Vibe. Mm. These three men later returned without Homan and struck this friend with a beer bottle, cutting him. Good Lord. He immediately left the bar and headed home. Authorities stressed that he was not involved in Homan's death, but he was charged with giving conflicting accounts to the police. And people wonder if these people that got in a fight with him were smiley face members or if he was injured. He but, could have gotten a concussion. Yeah. According to a January 26, 2019 article on Oxygen.com called, quote, Smiley Face Investigative Team Brings New Evidence to the Luke Homan Case in Wisconsin, it says that, quote, his mom said he would he would leave to go back to college and I'd yell to him, don't go near the water. He'd laugh and say, Mom, I've never even been to the water. Everything we do is away from the water. I have no reason to go there. Sam Donaldson, Luke's friend who was with him the night he vanished, also does not think that his death was accidental. We had no reasons to ever to really go by the water, said Donaldson. The weekend before, the question had come up about Luke going to lacrosse and the deaths that had occurred in the river, and Luke himself said, quote, You pretty much have to be a dummy to drown in the river, because if you were to leave a bar and you see the river, you know you're going in the wrong direction. And then mm. he drowns in the river right. after he says that. Mm-hmm. The Mississippi River is located about a half mile from the stretch of bars commonly frequented by students from the surrounding universities. On Smiley Face Killers, The Hunt for Justice, which was the Oxygen show, the team consulted with underwater forensic expert Bobby Chacon, forensic tool mark analyst William Moore, and forensic footwear specialist Marty Ludis to re-examine Luke's autopsy report and photographs. While Chacon estimates that Luke had only been in the water for 3 to 12 hours, not like 50 hours like the police had originally theorized. Moore and Ludus both hypothesized that the injuries on Luke's forehead were the result of someone pinning him down with the sole of their boot. Mm. 
The wounds oh, to I Holman's head. That. Yeah, the wounds to Holman's head and hands make it look as if he had been in a fight. These could have been the result of the fight at the bar that Gilbertson said was rumored to have taken place the night he disappeared. Chacon, furthermore, says that it doesn't look like his body had been in the river for 50 hours, as was assumed in the autopsy report. He stated in the documentary that the bruises looked too red to have occurred post-mortem, and that had the body been in the water for that long, it would have been more covered in debris and mud than it was. He conjectured that the body was only in the water for 3 to 12 hours, leading Gannon to wonder aloud where he had been for the rest of the two days that he had been missing. Based on the minimal body decomposition and injury pattern, the Hunt for Justice team does not think Luke's death was the result of accidental drowning. Mm. And if it was these three guys that attacked him in the bar, those guys came back to the bar. So then where, if he was not dead already in the, or right. thrown in the river, where was his body? Stole like him where, somewhere? Yeah. No, because they came back to the bar. Right. So it's like, did somebody else see him get in a fight? And then when these guys left, they grabbed him right. and then Easy did whatever target. it is they do to him? I don't know. Another big one is Dakota James. This comes up in all of the stuff about um, smiley face killers is Dakota James. On the night of December 15th, 2016, 23-year-old Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania University graduate student Dakota James called his friend Shelly in a panic. According to a January 8th, 2018 article in the Daily Beast called, quote, is a serial killer gang murdering young men across the U.S., he told Shelly on the phone, quote, I don't know where I am. I'm so cold. Please help me. I'm lost. He wasn't able to coherently tell her where he was, but she had access to his phone's GPS, so she headed out to pick him up. She got there in less than 10 minutes, arriving around 11.30 p.m. As she pulled up to the hotel, she saw a dark SUV double parked in the wrong lane facing the wrong direction, and Dakota was walking out of the hotel straight towards the SUV. I pulled up not even 10 feet away from the SUV, she says. I rolled down my window and yelled, Dakota. He turns, looks back, and then changes direction to come over to me, got into my car, and we left. He wasn't slurring his words. He was walking a straight line, not staggering at all. His clothes weren't disheveled or wet or dirty. He was emotional, crying, and he was scared, but he did not appear to be drunk. He said he had just suddenly became aware that he was walking on the street and he had no idea who, no idea where he was or how he got there, said Shelley. That's freaky. He said that he went up to a police officer and they didn't help him. So then he called me. The last That's thing nice. he, re- yeah, the last that, that comes up in a lot of yeah. these too. But every but like uh, the guy says in that interview on the Tim Dillon show that maybe it's, the cop is just like, oh, it's another drunk another college, drunk college, college kid. kid. Yeah. yeah. The last thing he remembered, he told her, was leaving his work Christmas party and heading to some bars with his coworkers from the J.B. Hunt Transport Services, where he was a carrier sales coordinator. That was around 7.15 p.m. Everything since then was a blank. The next day, he thanked her for picking him up, but brushed the whole thing off, saying that he just had a bad hangover. Five weeks later, on the night of Wednesday, January 25th, Dakota once again went out with his co-workers. He left the bar and began walking back to his apartment. A surveillance camera in the downtown area captured Dakota entering an alleyway while looking down at his phone, and that was the last time that he was seen alive. On March 6, 2017, 40 days after he disappeared, a woman walking her dog saw his body floating in the Ohio River about 10 miles from where he was last seen in downtown Pittsburgh. His death was ruled an accidental drowning by the Allegheny Court Medical Examiner's Office. Kevin Gannon, a retired New York City police sergeant who has devoted his life to solving these cases, told the Daily Beast, quote, Dakota was clearly murdered. And it's weird that there was like an incident right. before that like happened where he was walking towards this dark SUV that was parked like in a place that shouldn't have been parked, right. almost like they were having him. It was a failed attempt. It was like a failed attempt. Mm-hmm. 
but that's like the other case I talked about where there was a car with a guy and a girl in it following the guy that was like stumbling and falling out of the bar. So some stuff is just bizarre. Like some stuff leads me to believe that something is going on. Mm-hmm. It was like a foreshadowing of what was yep. to come. <laughs> I think I would have been very cautious about going out again. Yeah, going out again and Or at least drunk. walking home yep, alone. Going out and getting drunk. The alleyway actually stands out to me like why did he was he like distracted and thought he was turning onto a street and ended up in an alley he was looking at his phone right you know so why does gannon believe he was murdered james body wasn't decomposed enough to have been in the water for 40 days gannon said his body was undamaged despite traveling 10 miles down river and underneath a concrete and steel dam to get to where it was found Someone used his PayPal account for an $11.99 transaction two days after he vanished. That to me is, that to me is no, that to me is nothing because it could be a recurring payment. Oh, it could be. You You think they would know that though. You'd be able to trace that You would think that you would be able to, but that to me, that strikes me as a recurring $11.99 sounds like a, like a Netflix, like a a recurring payment, you know? And again, there appeared to be ligature marks around his neck, indicating that he might have been strangled, says Cyril Wecht, the famed forensic pathologist and former Allegheny County medical examiner who reviewed the autopsy report and photos at the request of James' parents. The official report, however, disagrees, saying that it's believed Dakota stopped on a bridge to urinate on the way home and fell into the water. And there were 11 smiley face symbols found spray painted on the Roberto Clemente Bridge, the closest bridge to where James was found, and that's where police believed he fell into the water. It was a good distance away, about 10 miles, but the investigators have discovered that the smiley face graffiti usually appears on the first man-made structure visible from where a body is found. They don't know if the graffiti was already on the bridge before James died, however. I want people to know the truth, that he was a good person and not some 23-year-old child that got drunk and decided to pee in the river and fell in on his own, his mother, Pam, said, who started a foundation in her son's name. Mm. Someone did something wrong to him, and we need to find the answer. It's not just about my son. It's about helping the other families out there that need this information. She said her husband say that they have encountered nothing but roadblocks trying to get those answers. They were not allowed to view Dakota's body when he was found, just his ankle, which had a distinguishing tattoo, they say, and that they didn't get the photos from the autopsy until August 2018, 17 months after his body was discovered. That's when they saw what appeared to be ligature marks on his neck, said Wecht, the pathologist who viewed the photos. Gannon said there was clearly evidence of some type of ligature device. But Wecht says, quote, There was no internal damage to the neck structure as reported in the autopsy report, so I'm not able to say that he was strangled to death, but there was something around his neck. And there was also blood pooled in the fingers on both of Dakota's hands, which Weck says could result from trying to pull a ligature away from the neck. Hmm. But the DA says that after he sent one of his homicide detectives to the medical examiner's office, they concluded that there were no ligature marks. So what were the marks? Allegheny County District Attorney Stephen Zapala says that it was dried blood that washed off during the autopsy. There are two pictures, Zapala said, one where blood came out of the nose and mouth and pooled around the neck. There was a second set of pictures where the neck is clean and there's no ligature marks, and that's what the medical examiner is telling me too. But his mother, Pam James, refuses to believe that. She says, quote, you tell me he was in the river for 40 days, how doesn't that wash off? He comes out of the river and has ligature marks, and you take him to the medical examiner's office and they just wash off? Dried blood doesn't stay on you when you're in the water for 40 days, she said. And why does he have pooling in the fingers? I don't believe that. I absolutely don't believe that, she says. She says that her family won't give up until they know exactly what happened to Dakota. It's never going to bring my son back, she says. I know that. But I don't want my son's name going down in history as that drunk kid who walked down the alley and walked across the river and drowned because that's not how it happened. So, yeah. 
that that's it's like the police don't aren't taking any of it seriously either. No, but, they and, want and, the easy answer. And they talk about that too in that one of the podcasts I listened to that said that's they they feel like there's such a what word am I looking for? Just it's just a drunk college kid. Yeah, it's just an idiot drunk college kid that stopped to pee on his way home. And that feels like the easy answer. And that's answering a lot of these. And and the yeah. thing is, you know, like I'm a guy. I love peeing outside. Like peeing outside is one of my passions in life. <laughs> I have never, I I you know when we go geocaching like in a cemetery or in a park or somewhere and I gotta pee, I have never in my life been like. Oh, there's a river over there. I'm just going to go pee in that river. Mm -hmm. You know, I'll go under a tree or something where nobody sees me, but I'm not going to go pee in a river. Mm -hmm. So it's just weird to me that that's like the the general thing is that this person was drunk and decided to go pee 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 in a river, you know? So it's just weird. Now we get to another big one, and that is Chris Jenkins. October 5th, 2019, medium.com article called, quote, Did the smiley face killer strike on Halloween? And from the website Footprints at the River's Edge, which is a really good website that details all of these college students that drown. It is Footprints at the River's Edge. Really good. If you're interested in this, check that website out. And Halloween night, 2002, after a 6 p.m. keg party at his home, Chris Jenkins, his girlfriend Ashley, and a few friends headed over to the Lone Tree Bar and Grill in downtown Minneapolis. The group arrived at the bar between 10.30 and 11 p.m. and parked the car just south of the bar. The story goes that sometime after midnight, Chris spilled a drink on his pants by accident. The security team, however, thought he was so intoxicated that he urinated himself, so they removed him from the bar and the bouncer was told not to let him back in. Chris had been wearing a Native American Halloween costume without pockets and had just been kicked out without his coat into the 20-degree temperature. He had given his cell phone previously and wallet to his girlfriend, Ashley, who was still inside the bar. So now Chris found himself outside in the freezing temperatures without any means of getting home since another friend had driven them to the bar. The last that anyone reported seeing Chris was that he was walking away from the bar headed north, but he never showed up back at his place or contacted anyone and he was reported missing. Four months without a word from Chris or any clues of his disappearance had not just his family and friends on edge, but the entire college campus. On February 27, 2003, a body was spotted floating in the Mississippi River. The body had been wedged in branches of a fallen tree near the upper St. Anthony Falls Dam. After pulling the body from the water and performing an autopsy, it was revealed that it was Chris Jenkins. He had still been wearing his Halloween costume, so it was assumed that he died the night that he went missing. His official cause of death was listed as undetermined, but the police believed it was just an accidental drowning. His family doesn't believe that and was forced to launch their own independent investigation. Retracing Chris's steps, the private investigator realized that the route home for Chris would have taken him over the Hennepin Avenue Bridge. He found that the Federal Reserve Bank had two outside security cameras facing in that direction, but when the bank reviewed the footage, there was no sign of Chris, so he had not started to walk home. The family knew they needed to try to find out where Chris went if they were ever going to find out what happened to him. They hired a canine unit, and two different bloodhounds tracked Chris's scent from the Lone Tree Bar to a restaurant across the street from a bar, which was Times Square Pizza and Subs. From there, the bloodhounds each tracked Chris's scent further to an underground parking garage next to the pizza sub. The scent came to a stop around the parking stalls number 89 and 90. On Halloween night, the bouncer from the Lone Tree Barn Grill had been parked in one of those spots. The bloodhounds also found a hint of Chris on the vehicle that had been parked there that night. Hmm. With a possible scene to investigate, a search for evidence began. Near where the bouncer's car had been parked, the private investigators recovered uh, 
Near like, is this the bouncer that threw him out? Yeah. Okay. Near where the bouncer's car had been parked, the private investigators would recover blood droplets, a red feather fragment, and red string that seemed to be parts of the headband that Chris had been wearing that night. The private investigators started looking more closely at the movement around the pizza shop and garage the night of Halloween. Several people reported seeing a group of 10 or more people attacking someone in front of Times Square Pizza and Subs at night, but it was thought to be a gang initiation. No one was sure if it had been Chris, but the bloodhounds both went to the exact spot where the fight had been. From the pathologist's report, it's known that Chris's blood alcohol level was 0.12%, so he was not out of it drunk. Tests also showed traces of the chemical GHB in his system, which is used to sedate people and is often referred to as the date rape drug. The pathologist that had performed the autopsy also noted some strange inconsistencies with the body. First, the body was found with his arms crossed in front of him, which is odd for victims who fall into the water and drown. They are usually found with their arms out at their sides. Usually in a drowning, the clothing is usually disheveled too, but Chris's shirt was still tucked into his pants and the slip-on moccasins were still on his feet. This led the pathologist to believe that Chris was dead and rigor mortis had already set in when he was placed into the water. Also, when he was pulled from the river, there was a clump of hair in his left hand. This was never tested. It was filed away, being labeled foreign matter in left hand. Seriously? Finally, many years later, it was tested, and it was proven to be Chris's own hair. Oh. Uh A hydrologist who studied the Mississippi River didn't believe that Chris's body could have been in the water for four months and not have been spotted. He researched the temperatures in the area and found that the river didn't freeze over until January. Also, the area under the bridge where Chris's body was found had been combed for weeks after he disappeared. Four years after Chris went missing and then turned up in the river, his family finally got the police to reopen the investigation. It was after a new police chief took over that he sat down with them, viewed the evidence they had collected. It was only then that Chris's death was reclassified from accidental drowning to homicide. After this, an informant came forward with new information. He said that he had seen someone he knew threw Chris off the Hennepin Avenue bridge that night. Sergeant Pete Jackson said, quote, This person has given me very specific details of the exact spot where Jenkins was thrown off a bridge. I'll just leave it at that. That night? Yeah. But this seems unlikely to anyone who studied the case. If Chris had been thrown off the bridge, he would have hit steel support beams and metal cables on the way down, and his body would have shown multiple injuries, which it didn't. Jenkins was not found to have any broken bones, meaning that the killer would have to have lift a, a heavy grown man over the high safety railing and throw him five feet out over the support beam, avoiding the vertical cables in the process. The bridge is brightly lit and has heavy traffic, and no one reported seeing anything unusual on the bridge that night. Cameras with a view of the bridge also did not capture anything suspicious, including mm-hmm. Chris walking across the bridge. They tracked down the bouncer who was working in 2002 who said that he didn't kick Christopher out that night, that Christopher left on his own. A Minneapolis Star Tribune article... Of course he'd say that. Yeah, well, yeah. He seems suspicious. Yeah. Especially if the dogs led them to his car. And this this is going to be something we kind of get into next episode too with the theories. Minneapolis Star Tribune article January 26, 2010 titled, quote, Strange Case of Son's Death Propels Mom on Tireless Quest says... Investigators from the various agencies that eventually got involved in the Jenkins case range from indifferent to sloppy to incompetent, Jan says in her book, quote, Footprints of Courage. At one point, she writes, one cop suggested that maybe Chris jumped in the river trying to save a duck. Mm, <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seems Middle of winter, you're drunk, walking home. I'm just going to save that duck. Yeah. That's such a stupid thing for a it's cop stupid. to say. Yes. You know. A duck. Why a, specifically I a duck? I don't know. I don't know. 
The police weren't doing anything, Jan said in an interview. So if they weren't willing to put their butts in gear, then get out of the way. We lost I faith. I find it really interesting that they would even admit it was a homicide. Yeah, that's one of the only ones that yes. was ever reclassified as a homicide. I agree. Jan goes on to say, we lost faith in every system that we previously believed in. Mm-hmm. Among the more eyebrow-raising anecdotes is Jan's speculation that an off-duty police officer who she names had Chris removed from the bar so that he could hook up with Chris's girlfriend. And it, it turns out that she, he was dressed as a Indian, mm-hmm. and she was dressed as a cop, and she was wearing his, that cop's, uniform. Mm. So there's some hanky-panky going on with that cop. Mm. So this one, this one, this one, like, there's a lot of, I think this one was a murder. I think yeah, this was... Not smiley yeah, face Yeah, but we'll related. get into those more in the... In the there's a, some interesting stuff tied in with this one that we'll get into the theories one, too. Uh, so it's believed that maybe the off-duty police officers that, that, it was, that was at the bar had the bouncer remove him so that he could be alone with Chris's girlfriend. She also said that initial investigators failed to interview people with Chris that night and didn't treat his discovered body as a crime scene. The Jenkinses don't believe that Chris was thrown from the bridge as speculated because he still had his slip-on shoes on and his shirt was tucked in. When they found him near a bank, his arms were crossed. Jan hints in the book that satanic rituals may have been involved. She thinks one or more killers is still out there. In Breaking Homicide on Investigation Discovery, they interviewed a man who went to that same bar a few months before Christopher did and reported that he had a drink and was very sick and almost unconscious after having only one drink. He said that he remembers a few men trying to put him into a car, but he was saved by a friend who then took him to a hospital where it was found that he had an unusually high dose of GHB in his system. Hmm. Sarah Jenkins, Chris Jenkins' sister, says, quote, I wish every day I could go back to that naive place in the world where life was so simple, where people were inherently good, where the sunshine just a little brighter. It's not simple. There are really bad people out there, and they do really bad things. You know what I'm kind of like a pattern that I'm noticing is that, and I think it's part of what feeds into this, is that nobody really seems concerned with the safety of men in these situations. Do you know what I mean? No, and that's the thing. Like, if it was... If it were a woman in half of these cases, it would be a totally different. But it's not because yeah. and and oh, you I don't walk know. Home alone There's or... almost like this predisposed bias against college age boys, right? You know, because uh, like so many people said, there's almost like this mindset it's that they deserve what's coming to them yeah. for being drunk and stupid, right? You know, it's just weird. And, if and there's were... so little. That, I mean, there's so I haven't come across female that this has happened to this is all males no and it's not that bad stuff doesn't happen to females at bars but i think that there's even like i've heard i've seen news stories about how if a woman feels like she's in danger at a bar you can say a certain phrase to the bartender and they'll help you nothing is in place like that for men no men are just on their own yeah and nobody cares 100 (laughs) yeah it it is and so maybe that's why men are targeted because it's easy yeah yeah because the cops aren't going to look into it as much. Like, nobody cares that a guy's been slipped a roofie. What's yeah. going to happen to him? Yeah. But if it were a woman, well, obviously, some pretty bad stuff yeah. can happen yep. to either. Yeah, there's but... a weird sexism involved with yeah. this that... I agree. Another story. This is from the December 7th, 2018 Oxygen.com article, quote, Here are six of the alleged victims of the smiley face killings. This one is weird. Uh, on October 8th, 2009... 24-year-old William Hurley, a Navy veteran, went missing after leaving a Bruins hockey game in Boston, Massachusetts. Hurley went to the game with two friends. Halfway through the game, Hurley called his fiancée, Claire, and said that he wanted to leave. Hurley walked outside where Mahoney drove to, or Claire Mahoney is his girlfriend, where Mahoney drove to the stadium to pick him up. 
When she arrived, however, he was nowhere in sight. Mahoney then called Hurley to find out where he was waiting. Mahoney said that he answered the phone and she heard him ask someone who was standing there where he was located. And the man said 99 Nashua Street. Hurley told her the street and said that his cell phone battery was going dead. Mahoney was near the area, like literally less than half a mile. But when she got to the address, Hurley was not there. She called him a second time, but his cell phone seemed to be out of battery. Mahoney said she drove it around for an hour before returning home, guessing that he got another ride home. But when she got home, he still was gone. She then reported him missing and various searches were conducted. Six days after his disappearance, Hurley's body was found in the Charles River, close to where he asked Mahoney to pick him up. Investigators said there was no sign of foul play and his death was ruled an undetermined drowning. Hurley's mother received a copy of the autopsy report and allowed a physician to analyze the report. She found out that her son had reportedly suffered blunt force trauma to his head, his eye socket, and behind his left leg. GHB was also found in his system along with alcohol. A smiley face was found painted near the river. His cell phone, which had been badly damaged, was also discovered near 99 Nashua Street. Gannon and Duarte were able to obtain the damaged cell phone from Hurley's family, who believed it had been run over by a passing car, and they took it to digital forensic analyst Derek Ellington for testing. Ellington noted that there was excessive damage to the cell phone's hinge. Ellington says, quote, when a, a phone, flip phone? Yeah. Okay. When a phone is run over, you don't see that much damage, maybe a cracked screen. Ellington told Gannon and Duarte that if the same cell phone model was crushed by a tire, it would only squish or deform slightly. Mm. When somebody wants to physically destroy a phone, they take the battery out, discard it, and do what we call a twist and separate. Mm. If you go to twist it, you're going to get a lot of torque and resistance from the first hinge. The second hinge popped easily. He also noted that there was significant scuffing and scratching that would be consistent with the cell phone having been run over after it was broken. Gannon believes Ellington's assessment that could support their theory that some type of human intervention was involved on the night Will went missing. And I mean, she was half a mile away from him. Yeah. And she got there and there was nobody was there, which is weird. It's, mm -hmm. They said it's almost like someone immediately hit him, beat him, threw him in a van mm -hmm. and, and killed him. And he had GHB in a system, mm -hmm. which he was only at the game drinking with a couple of his friends. So I don't know. That's just weird. And this one is kind of like that one. On November 12, 2018, a 32-year-old Spokane, Washington man named Ian Powers was reported missing after he became separated from his girlfriend and her two kids during the fourth quarter of a San Francisco 49ers game against the New York Giants at Levi's Stadium in Santa Clara, California. It's said that he left his seat in the fourth quarter a little before 9 p.m. to use the restroom and never returned. There are conflicting reports about whether or not he got in touch with his girlfriend after he left for the restroom. One report says that the two of them managed to video chat on their phone about where to meet up, but some of the responses that Powers sent, quote, weren't very reasonable or didn't make any sense, according to a Santa Clara police captain. Other reports say that they believe that Ian's cell phone was dead or died shortly after he left for the restroom. Ian's girlfriend and her two children eventually made their way out to the parking lot where the car was, but Ian wasn't there, and they ended up taking a bus back to their hotel thinking that they would find him there, but he wasn't there either. After he was missing for a few days, they checked the stadium. Wait, why didn't they take the car? Because he had the keys to the car, oh. and it was locked, so okay. they couldn't take the car. After he was missing for a few days, they checked the stadium surveillance camera and found footage of Ian walking out of the stadium and looking down at his cell phone just a few minutes before 9 p.m. during the game's fourth quarter. What time did he leave his seat? I think it was around that time. Like It, it was like, it was like yeah, he, he left a little up. before 9. It was like he got up, said he was going to go to the bathroom. But then they, there's video of him looking at his phone walking out of the stadium. Hmm. 
On Saturday, November 17th, at about 2.52 p.m., the San Jose Police Department responded to a possible body in the water near the Alviso Marina in San Jose. A group of duck hunters reported seeing a body lying face down in the low tide water approximately one mile north of the marina boat ramp. Rescue divers from the Santa Clara County Sheriff's Office dive team responded and assisted the coroner's office in recovering the body. Hmm. The coroner then took custody of the body. Based on its investigation, the coroner's office has determined that the cause of death was saltwater drowning. Police speculate that Powers somehow ended up in the Guadalupe River, became stuck, and eventually drowned. Makes his body no would have no. His body would have then traveled toward the marina area. It's like not, this one is really out there yeah. because he was at a football yeah. game with his family or girlfriend yep. and her kids and yep. went to the bathroom. It's not easy to get into the water, a Santa Clara police captain Wahid Kazem said. We can guess maybe he thought that he was able to cross the waterway. Perhaps he thought that's where he needed to be by his car or his family was on the other side of the waterway. I can understand where some may look at the waterway and think, oh, I could just run across this. But if you step in the middle of that waterway, it's going to sink down quite a bit to the point where you realize you might get stuck. His uncle expressed concern over his nephew's disappearance, saying, quote, it's incredibly unlike him. He's probably the most responsible person in my family. Hmm. So just yeah, another no weird sense. one. Nope. So now we get to... That has to be foul play. You yep. know what I mean? Now we get to an, one... I don't know if you ever heard of this. Nathan Her, or Hare, H-E-R-R. Her. Yeah. Nathan Her, a 21-year-old landscaper and a friend, parted company at Fountain Park in Sheboygan, Wisconsin on January 10th, 2003, after leaving a $10 all-you-can-drink night at a nearby sports bar. Though not a college student himself, Hare had been partying that night along a series of bars popular with Sheboygan's college crowd. At 1.30 a.m., he headed north to his home and disappeared. His body was found about two miles south of where he was last seen in the water. Nathan's father sees a pattern in the disappearances. He says, quote, Was I had it in a, the river? Yeah. Okay. Quote, I had a map here even trying to figure out how they went, who picked up who first, how they went, and it almost looks like they're going around Lake Michigan picking up these kids. Sheboygan's deputy police chief, Robert Woj, said Nathan's disappearance did prompt reports of strangers offering residents rides late at night, but he sees no evidence of foul play, saying, quote, those people that had the rides offered to them are fine and safe. Some took up the rides. So, hmm. yeah, and I didn't realize that that happened in the Sheboygan. No, I didn't either. So a lot of people said this is like a smiley face one where he leaves this bar and just ends up in the river somehow. So like two miles south of Fountain Park? Yeah. So that's like where Highland House is or was yeah it's now a mexican restaurant yeah. but i'm guessing that's the river the area of the river but how is he gonna end about? up in the river i have no idea yeah don't know did so he was found in the river yeah yeah how many how i, I didn't say mm. it didn't say not a lot of details for that one no but. well he was found on november 17th and when did he go missing no wait not november 17th It doesn't say. It doesn't say when yeah, he was last it found. it is always like cooler weather. It's either winter or leading yeah. up to winter. That's yeah, odd. and that's what that's what some of these people say is that it's. You would think this would happen a lot more in, in summer, summer but also college kids aren't there in the summer. That's true. You know, so that's yeah, that's true. That's one of those things that it happens more in the winter because college kids are there drinking in the winter. Right. So I don't know. Hmm. So another one, uh, this is Joshua Guymond from the Charlie Project. This comes from straight from the Charlie Project, which is missing people, cold cases. 
Guymond was last seen between approximately 11 p.m. and midnight on November 9th, 2002, leaving Metton Court, a dormitory on the north end of the St. John's University campage and campage <laughs> campus in Collegeville, Minnesota. He was a junior at Collegeville, the, Minnesota. Yeah, he was a junior at the university at the time he disappeared, majoring in political science. Guyman left a party at Madden Court to go to the bathroom, and when he did not return within 15 minutes, his friends assumed that he had just walked back to his on-campus apartment. He apparently never arrived there, however. His friends called his apartment shortly after they last saw him, and they just assumed he was asleep when they got no answer. Guyman's car was later found undisturbed on the campus. His friends reported him missing the next evening when they could not find him, and he failed to appear at a school function. His eyeglasses, contact lenses, and credit cards were left behind, and no personal belongings were missing from his apartment. At the time he vanished, he was not wearing clothing appropriate for the weather. At around the time that Guyman disappeared, two other college-aged people disappeared from the Minnesota and Wisconsin areas. They were all Minnesota residents, and all of them vanished on weekend nights after having visited bars or parties. The bodies of both of them were subsequently found in local bodies of water. None of the missing young adults knew each other. However, it was suggested that the four cases might link, as it is statistically improbable that four people of similar age would randomly vanish from the same area at around the same time. In addition, all three of the men who disappeared were college students with similar heights and bills and were described all as being high achievers. Authorities believe it's likely that Guyman was slightly intoxicated when he left the party and that he somehow stumbled into a body of water and drowned. They have searched nearby lakes but failed to come up with any evidence to support this theory. He remains missing and his case is unsolved. Hmm. So there are some of the ones around the states, around this area. But what's interesting is, and I did not know this existed... More often than not, they're found, right? It's yes, not very more, often yeah, that they yep, just are never yep, found again. Yep. So what's interesting is that there's something called the Manchester Pusher. <laughs> okay. Rumors of the Canal Pusher were born on January 11th, 2015, when the Daily Star Sunday published a two-page article headlined, quote, Manchester's Killer Canals. The article cited 61 deaths in the Canal Way, which stretches for over 10 miles through central Manchester since 2006. Though since then, that number is estimated to have grown drastically to 85, though an exact figure for more recent years is unknown. The paper labeled the mysterious pusher as a serial slayer while pointing out that it's extremely unlikely that such an alarming number of bodies is the result of just accidents or suicide. 21-year-old student David Plunkett was found dead in Manchester Canal in 2012 after attending a music festival in Trafford Park. A coroner ruled his death as an accident, although his parents protested otherwise, saying that they, when they last called him, they heard what sounded like screaming and howling in the background, which is weird. Mm. The police insist that they have no evidence of foul play, and similarly, a pathologist said there was no evidence that he had been assaulted and that the most likely cause of death was drowning. Speaking anonymously to the BBC, a man known under alias as Tom recalled the moment that a mysterious man swung at him as he was cycling home along the canal one evening. He fell into the icy waters of the canal as a result of the push, and when he tried to pull himself out, the man kicked his hand away. Tom recalled, quote, I started to think, this is quite serious. It's pitch black down there. There's no lights. You look up, someone catches your eye, and then in four seconds, you're down in dirty water. Eventually, Tom was able to haul himself out of the water. However, following the assault, the city's police and coroner continued to deny, deny that there was any evidence of a serial attacker. Greater Manchester police said that the speculation surrounding the deaths had are made without examination of all the facts and evidence. A large proportion of the Manchester Canal deaths are just blamed on drugs and alcohol. Hundreds of people make their way home along the narrow pathways of the canal after a heavy night out every year, making the likelihood of people tripping and falling into the water all too high. But that's very much like mm -hmm. 
you know, like what we have here. Well, it's a little different though because it sounds like it's that specific area is used as a commute. Yep. A foot commute. Yeah. But whereas these other cases are like they have no reason to be by the water. Yeah. That's the difference, yeah. I think. But a lot of people tied that in, the Manchester pusher with mm-hmm. the smiley face thing. But all That's these freaky, the idea that someone I know, just push people into in the, the water. water. People push people on subways all the time. That's true. On subway, oh, it's so you weird. know. What is wrong with people? I don't know. But all this is still oh going on. Since 2015, three men in Austin, Texas have gone missing after drinking with friends, and days later their bodies were found in Austin's lakes and rivers. And in May of 2020, three people have been found dead in bodies of water within a span of eight days in Cleveland, Ohio. Two went missing after a night of drinking. And one of the newest ones, Austin Redderath, 19 years old, was last seen on May 8th, 2022, just a couple weeks ago, Hmm. near East River Road and Franklin Avenue in Minneapolis. Police searched the area and concentrated their efforts near the Franklin Avenue Bridge. On Wednesday, May 18th, authorities found his body in the Mississippi River. So it's still happening yeah. all the time. I was going to ask you what's the most recent case. That's one, like, one wow. of the most recent ones I found. But then I was thinking it's weird that it doesn't happen in Manitowoc. And yesterday they, they found they were searching for somebody in the lake. So somebody mm-hmm. drowned in the lake. I'm sure there are a lot of cases too that nobody even knows about. Oh yeah, 100%. The family doesn't but, understand. Like, looking through this missing 411 book, it amazes me how many there are. There yeah. are so many cases. And a lot of them are just the, the typical... So-and-so left a college party, walked home, a short walk, and ended up dead in a river. Yeah. You know, but there's so many of them that, I don't know. Like I said, I go back and forth between thinking something is up and something isn't up. Mm -hmm. But those are some of the cases. If you, this is a rabbit hole to go down because there are tons of podcasts about this. There are tons of articles online about this. Books. Uh, There's a lot of really interesting cases that I didn't even get to on here. But I hit one of the ones, most of the ones that are the major ones. Mm -hmm. But there's just a lot of them. There was one that I didn't even get to on here where this guy, I think it was in Boston, went. Boston. Boston. Went to a a party or went somewhere with some friends. He just kind of, sort of knew and had a beer or two and then just ended up dead in the river. Tons of GHB in his system. The GHB is really. Yeah. Yeah. A a big theme. It is. And we're going to get into that more in the next episode, which is going to be about the theories about this. But if you're interested in this, look this up before the next episode because there are tons, tons, tons of stories of these college-age males, usually. I have yet to find one that's female that Mm -hmm. is anything like this. I mean, it's almost always males. And just look those up. And in our next episode, we are going to look into theories, and there are a ton of them, ranging Mm -hmm. from really weird to possible. Even more weird. Even (laughs) more weird. Is Bigfoot one of them? (laughs) Bigfoot is not one of them, oh, surprisingly. Uh, we'll Sorry, see if I can. Really. If I'll, I'll do some research. See if I can find anything about Bigfoot. When you, when you said someone, uh, the guy would have had to thrown him five feet. Yeah. I was like, Bigfoot could totally yeah. do that. Yeah. So, it's just weird. Hmm. There's enough going on that there's something. There's something. Going like on. I was amazed at how many of these involve what seems to be like people following the person in a SUV or right. in some kind of vehicle. Trying to get them in a car. Or yeah, whatever. because that showed up in a couple of these. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the bodies don't appear like they are like they should in the water. And there's just so many sketchy details. The timeline it, doesn't add up. Nope, and it just reeks a missing 411 where there's all these unexplained questions and things that don't make sense. Mm-hmm. So there you go. There are some of the smiley face killer cases. Next episode, we will get into the theories. Sweet. What should we jump into now? It's weird. Do you want to do your song? Yeah. So I I will recommend that mockumentary that you recommended to me. What was that called? Oh, uh, uh, Savage Land? Savage Land, yes. 
I thought that was pretty good. It was pretty creepy. Nothing like it, it, jump scares. No, but it's like weird that. that this the creepiness comes more from photographs yeah. in this one than it, yep. the photographs were creepy. They were really creepy. But it's a mockumentary on uh, Tubi. Tubi, yes. Yeah. That was pretty good. So wow. I would recommend there's a that. bunch of them here. We're gonna go with just. We're gonna go. With, well, okay, I'm gonna do my two songs, and we're gonna do two quick questions. Okay. okay. My first song choice. Um, I don't even know how I stumbled across this song because YouTube's been like suggesting really good songs to me lately. And as I've often stated on here, I love fast emo-ish pop punk, like Taking Back Sunday, like that kind of stuff. So one of the the thong, the thongs. <laughs> thong, <laughs> the thong, thong. No, it's not the thong song. I assure you <laughs> that it is not the thong song. Uh the, the song that I stumbled across that I listened to it once and I immediately downloaded it that it is going to be blaring out my car window this entire summer is a fast pop punkish emo kind of song. The band is named Spanish Love Songs and it is the song Losers. It is a typical like Taking Back Sun, like just a fast song, but their music, all their songs are so life sucks, blah, you know, yeah, sure. life sucks. Life Emo. is hard. I hate life. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's all really, really, really depressing. So my first song pick is the song losers by Spanish love songs. Going to be listening to that all the time this summer. It's a roll your windows down, crank your music kind of song, but because it's such a down song, I decided to go the opposite way with the other song. And <laughs> This one I stumbled across because I've talked about it on here. I love the movie. I think it's called Map of Tiny Perfect Things. Okay. I've talked about it on here. I'm sure I talked about it on here. It's about map. Yeah, Map of Tiny Perfect Things. It's about like a teenage boy that, and I'm a sucker for these kind of movies. You know this. We talked about this. It's a teenage boy that's living in a time loop where he relives Mm -hmm. the same day every day. Mm -hmm. And then he realizes there's a girl there in his town that is also stuck in the same loop. So I feel like I've watched something like it was that really recently, good. but that and, wasn't. And then it. they and and then they uh make a, they realize like I think one of the things they they do is realize that like every day in every town there's all these perfect little moments that happen. Mm-hmm. So they they every they go watch all these little like like one of the ones is like you know, person sitting on a bench when a truck pulls up behind them that has like angel wings. So it looks like the person Mm. is, you know, so they, they go witness these every day, but it's such a cute, good movie. If Mm. you're ever in the mood for just a movie, just to feel good and just to watch map of tiny, perfect things is such a good movie. But in the movie, there is a song called backyard boy by a girl named Claire Rosencrantz. Mm. So I finally watched the video and I never knew she's only 16 years old, Mm. but she is so freaking cute and adorable in this video that you just love her and i'm like kind of really into her now i think she's like way older now but i just love this video it's such a cute video and it's like a feel-good video Mm -hmm. just like them dancing around in the the back yeah it's like the opposite of the first song (laughs) so this one is like a feel-good song it's really really catchy really really cute and i adore claire it is the song backyard boy by claire rosencrantz so i will post both of those in the group i've been listening to those all the time lately so Ooh. there you go. Those are my two songs. All right. She is so stinking cute. She, but it's weird because it's not like a crush on her cute. It's like she could be my student. Like yeah. 16-year-old girl. She looks like she could be literally one of my students, but she's just <laughs> adorable. So our questions, both from Anonymous, these will be quick. Number one, first question, would you two have been friends in high school? 
totally. I oh, think yeah, we totally 100 percent would have been yep. we would have been BFFs in mm-hmm. high school. No question about it. No doubt. And question number two, do either of you have any tattoos? Yes. No. <laughs> I have one on my foot. It's just a series of stars. I've seen it. It's cute. Yep. Uh, I actually want to get it covered up. <laughs> do you really? Yeah, I want to get it. Repl- I'm not into Why? stars anymore. At the time, I was. And but it's still cute. Eh, it's okay. I didn't know you wanted to get rid of it. Yeah. No, I want to have it covered with flowers because I'll never. Or Strange I'll... Sessions logo. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, probably flowers just because, I, I don't know, flowers will never grow old with me. But I neither are stars. I'm not into stars anymore, though. Huh. Like, that was a thing for me. Moon and stars were like, I decorated with that sort of, had mugs with that yeah. theme, you know. I was in my 20s when I got the tattoo, so. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that you wanted to get rid of it. No, I have none. Uh, I tell my students, the only one I ever had, I got out of the gumball machine at the grocery store <laughs> when I worked there, and it was on my shoulder for a couple of days. It was purple and sparkly, and it said Pretty Princess. Oh, it funny. was on my shoulder, and it was awesome. So no, I otherwise I have none and have no plans to get any because if I had, I'll I would probably get more. I would if I would have got one like I wanted in high school, I would have a Def Leppard or Warrant tattoo. Nice. So I'm glad that I don't. Warrant. Thank you for the questions. <laughs> okay, we're we gonna do a joke. You Let's still have the one pickle quick joke, joke book? Oh, I still have it at home. Uh huh. I don't remember where I left off. What What did the robber say when he stole from the book? No, nope, I read that one. Why did Sally's computer keep sneezing? It had a virus. I yes. think we did that one too. Oh, dang. When do doctors get mad? I don't know. When they lose their patients. As in like <laughs> Okay, patients, that one's actually kind of funny. That one's actually kind of funny. Yeah. I think right. that's it. Uh, so shoot, deets? I shut off. I don't have the deets because I just shut off my comp- my my iPad. So you can email us at thestrangesessions.com. We are on Twitter at Strange Session without the final S. Krista does a great job at Strange Sessions. Shesh. Strange Szechuan on <laughs> Instagram. Uh, I don't know our phone number, so you're on. I'm your not own sure there. about our phone number, but you can send. I don't know the zip code number for that either. I, I know it's five four two two one dash zero. I th- uh, PO box four two four. Oh, four three four. Actually, just wait with that one till the next episode <laughs> because we don't want you sending something to the it's wrong box. It's also pinned to our Facebook page. Yeah. So. so I think that's it for this episode. Yeah. Next episode will be part two where we go into the theories about the smiley face killers. So I'm excited. Brush up on this. Do some deep dives. You guys should be able to find tons of stuff about this. Oh, yeah. And we will be back to talk about theories in two weeks. So until then, stay, stay strange. strange. Oh, it's so much easier when we're in the same room. I know. (laughs) 